Welcome to Operation Rewatch. My name is Ian. And my name is John. Slightly delayed there, but that's that's not a bad thing. The best things come to those who wait. So yeah, so this is a new podcast, um, Operation Rewatch. What we're going to be doing on a weekly basis is we are going to be talking about TV programmes that we have recently rewatched. Now, obviously, from the title of this podcast, you will see that we are starting with Line of Duty season one but we do have plans to look at other tv programs now line of duty we've both seen so it'll be interesting to do that as a rewatch but we have plans to watch things that either you've seen or i've seen for example you're a big fan of the wire which i've never seen so we're probably going to work the wire in at some point so you can introduce me to the wire i've been for about 25 years been trying to get you to watch the leftovers because it's the greatest tv show that's ever been in telly we'll probably do that as well um, so it'll be an interesting mix of things that we've both seen or things that maybe only one of us has seen. We might even watch stuff that neither of us seen. That could be interesting. It's not really a rewatch at that point. We'd have to change the name to Operation Watch, which sounds like it's about Timex, which is not quite as appealing to people listening. So, um, Line of Duty. Um, it's been, when, did, when, was the, when was this season? What year did season one start? 2012, I think, 2011. Nearly, nearly. That's about 10 years ago then. Mm. I mean, it really shows when you get to the start of the, the first episode and you see Martin Compton's face, he looks so, he's almost like a child, doesn't he? He looks so young. I think that's the, the first impression you get of the TV show now is that, that you're like, wow, he's young. Because you, and then indeed, when we first see Ted Hastings um, character. Um, again, you think he looks young. Yeah, you're he like, he has, looks. I don't remember Ted Hastings ever having dark hair. No, and being really rather slim. Yes, <laughs> being very slim. Yeah, it's fun um, watching, as because that's the thing, we have seen this show, and what we wanted to say was, we have seen the full extent of Line of Duty thus far, but in this podcast, we're not going to spoil anything too heavily we may hint at things and go oh that character they may turn up again at some point but we're not going to reveal anything that's that important um no. i mean to be honest because it's been 10 years that's a lot of things even watching this first episode there's a lot of stuff in this that i just don't remember at all and it's no. very interesting because we've seen six seasons of it now and there are little kernels in this episode and you think oh that's actually important in about six seasons time there's just little things that are dropped in in this first episode that will come back to play um later on so this will be an interesting experience for us hopefully it will be an interesting experience for people listening as well yes so we're obviously this is the first episode we've done of this so we're, we're still gonna we're finding our feet today to see how we do this but the plan that i have is to just go through the episode beat by beat stop and have a chat about anything that we think is important um and just kind of get a general vibe of this first episode and we'll take it from there who knows next week it may become like a free-form jazz session where we just come at it completely haphazardly but 
I'm I have about five pages of notes on this first episode. And you said to me this morning that you didn't take notes because you knew that I would do that for you anyway. <laughs> exactly. Um, I feel that very much I'm, I'll probably have more of an impressionistic take, uh, but we'll go through your notes and we'll see how far we get. Yeah. So obviously the opening scene is an incredibly tense scene where you've got Martin Compton's character. Now, do, do we know, I mean, obviously we know his name now, do we get his name in that opening scene? No. It's funny because we were talking about this earlier on before we started recording. There's a lot of the characters whose names you maybe don't get in this episode. But, I mean, it's, it's funny because, like, I will probably call... The character's name Steve Arnott, but I will probably refer to him as Martin Compston or Compsty. I very often just write Compsty to you sometimes because that's, that's... I always think of Martin Compston, even though I don't think that's his actual nickname, but I just call him Compsty. Whether it's in this, whether it's in Tracy's or anything else, he is Martin Compston or Compsty. In that opening scene, his rank is referred to. And I think that in that scene, I think that's intentional, is that the rank of Sergeant on such a baby-faced mm. young man, I think is, is quite telling. And I think quite, that this young man, very young man, is making such important decisions or has such responsibility. He doesn't actually make any decisions. No, very few decisions in this scene, actually. Uh, but it's clear that he's he's the point man, if you like, on this raid. Yeah. So what did what, uh, what, was, your, what was your impression of this opening scene? I mean, the whole the whole first scene where we've got the team knocking down this door, shooting this seemingly armed terrorist who then turns out to be an innocent man holding a baby in a papoose. Um, and then the subsequent orders from Owen Teal's character, whose name I can't remember, uh, telling him he's got to cover up. What was your impression think, of this first scene? I think it was one of the things is, and again, this is an allusion to the rest of the series rather than than, than any plot spoiling. Is they started very boldly with you know police vans with 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 the sirens on, like driving very fast, lots of shouting, lots of guns. And this very, um, like you say, incredibly tense set piece, which Line of Duty, as it matures and as it grows, it has those moments, but it's not an action show. Mm. And yet it starts with, with a great action sequence. So that's that's kind of the first thing that, that, that I kind of took from the scene is, is that I'm like, oh, wow, this is not what I think of when I think of Line of Duty. I don't think of this kind of kinetic, um action uh, that's the first thing the the second thing is that every single person in the first four minutes until the arrival of the chief inspector played by Teal, every person's actions or intentions every person's intentions in those first three four minutes are good Mm. Every single person. Martin Compson's trying to do a good job. The armed police are trying to do a good job. The, as it turns out, the, the person inside the flat who they essentially shoot is being a good father. Mm. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's holding the child. He's, he's holding him in a papoose. Everybody's intentions are good. But sometimes mistakes are made and actually... They're nobody's fault. That's the thing is that although there should be responsibility taken for what happened, 
which is obviously that they shoot an innocent man because the door numbers are wrong. Uh, or the, no, the door numbers are wrong. The door numbers are correct. It's just that the number has fallen down yeah. uh, on this flat. And so therefore, the armed policemen go into what they genuinely believe is the right address. Mm. Uh, and obviously, he's got something strapped to his chest, which we presume would be a suicide bomb. Uh, and so in actual fact, so that's one of the impressions. But the, 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 the overriding impression is the scene sort of ends. Well, it's two things, actually. One is, where is the real guy? The real guy who was in the correct flat, yeah. who adopted Islamic or Arabic writing all over the walls, which we must presume um, as an audience are some kind of terrorist-related um, graffiti, if you like. Um, where is he? Because he's free now. And what's he going to do? Um, that's one of the consequences of mistakes, is that, the, you know, he is free to do what he wants. But the second thing is that the conspiracy of silence or the conspiracy of, you know, Owen Teal's character who, who sits on the police van and says, and describes to them what he wants written in their reports, which is basically that the victim was charging the policeman and they truly believed he had a suicide vest and truly believed he was going to kill them. The person who was, he wants the person who was the innocent victim to become the villain. Yeah. And so in these conspiracies, there is always a victim. And the victim is that man and the legacy of that man, because if the police get their way, he will be uh, considered a terrorist, which means his wife will be besmirched as a terrorist sympathizer. His entire family will be besmirched as terrorist sympathizers. It heightens this idea that all asylum seekers are somehow dangerous. That's all within that first scene. And it's packed really densely into a scene of five or six minutes. Yeah. Um, and one of the most interesting things I think for me is Line of Duty has become the biggest drama in British television. And yet from it, the first five minutes, it's woke before woke became a thing. Yeah. Because yeah. it's clearly on the side of the asylum seeker in that scene. Yeah. Absolutely positively on the side of the asylum yeah. seeker. It's quite, it's quite, it's kind of, it's quite painful to watch. Um, I, I I found myself really quite emotionally moved by the scene of the, the the child still alive, you know, lying crying on its dead father, and the wife being huckled down by the police when she's just watched that innocent husband been gunned down by these same police officers. It's really quite a harrowing watch, and then it carries. So then you've got you've got the scene in the van where Owen Teal tells them, right lads, do this, do this, do this, and then you've got the court scene, which is when we get another idea of Martin Compton's character's personality when he suddenly has a like a moment of conscience where he's like I, I can't do this I'm going to change mm -hmm. my statement I can't I can't go along with this because you know like you said no one's done anything wrong why don't we just admit we made a mistake apologize we're doing the right thing if we do that and instantly you get this idea that this is that this is not what this show is going to be about it's going to be about the institutionalized corruption within the police I mean Owen Teal because of the way the character he played in Game of Thrones and in this, he does, he plays vile really well. There's just something about his eyes and the shape of his face, but he just plays, and it's, it's ironic because my mum, 
that was like Owen Teal was her heartthrob when I was a child. We used to go to Stratford and watch a lot of the RSC's performances, and Owen Teal featured in a lot of those. She was a massive fan of Owen Teal when he was a young, and he always played a kind of heartthrob good character. And it's funny that in the last ten years or so, he's reinvented himself as a really good villain. He's in. A, there's another show that's out in Sky just now called Discovery of Witches. He plays a bad guy in that too. It's basically same character as this, and same as he has in Game of Thrones. But he's not a villain in the contemporary sense, in the sense that he's protecting the institution of the police. Yes. He's not doing it for his own good. He's not getting any benefit from this, other than the institution of the police will be severely damaged if it's admitted that they killed an innocent man. I mean, that's the, um, that's the interesting thing about Line of Duty, is that a lot of the characters, the police characters who are maybe corrupt, as we go through this season and the following seasons, there's a lot of shades of grey about a lot of the characters. I mean, we're talking about Steve Arnott, Martin Compton as being this, you know, baby-faced, obviously very competent because he's been promoted to the position he's in, takes this moral stand in court and says, I'm not going to go along with this anymore. I'm going to point the finger of blame and say, look, we did wrong here. And yet in the very next scene, when Steve is introduced to AC-12, one of the first things he says to Ted Hastings is, is this will be good for me. So you're suddenly like, actually, maybe he's not that nice a character because he's automatically thinking, oh, this is this is almost kind of like a selfishness to like, if I work in anti-corruption, this will be good for my career. So you're conflicted about him. You're like, I thought he was the good guy, but now we're getting a sense that he's maybe not such a great guy. He's not so squeaky clean. So that's within the first five, six minutes of the show, you're already dealing with, some very complicated characterization, which is obviously why it's been such a successful show over the last decade. Yeah, and then what's, I mean, I think then we're introduced, isn't it? Uh, am I right in saying we're introduced to the character of Tony Gates? That's the very next scene after Martin Compton meets Ted Hastings for the first time and he goes into AC12. And then we go to Tony Gates in his car, sticking on some funky music, which annoyed me. And I'll come back to that in a second. He puts a tape or a seat, he puts some music on his car and it's quite, it's not Roachford, it's quite funky. And um, he drives about and then he's chatting to Gina McKee's character, um, Jackie Laverty. And then it cuts to them in a cafe together, having a bit of a sexy cup of coffee. My problem with that is the music that he was listening to in the car is still playing in the cafe. <laughs> now, Obviously, that's diegetic music, music that exists within the show. Now, maybe it's just a huge, maybe this is like the biggest hit of that particular week. It just so happened that the song he was listening to his radio, is the, but it doesn't even, it, the music continues into the cafe without any interruption. It's little things like that sometimes annoy me, and I think that that's a bit of a production failure there, that you've got the same music, unless he's just transported immediately from his car into the, the cafe without any interruption in the music. Um, so yeah, so we're introduced to this character of Tony Gates, who again, as we will see, certainly through this series, but probably in this episode, another very <laughs> grey character in terms of, you know, we, we see shortly after this meeting with this lady, who's clearly having a bit of a thing with, he is attending the Officer of the Year Award. So again, like Martin Compson's character, he's a highly decorated, recognised officer who's done a lot of good things. But our introduction to him is that he's having this relationship with this woman. Now, I don't think at that point we know he's having an affair, do we? No, we don't. We just know he's 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 
obviously in a romantic relationship with her. But more even than that is we see his honor code within that scene is that he he hears and then witnesses a mugging on the street mm. of, a, of a woman with her child. And his first instinct is, is to go and help. He has a code. Yeah. This is not then a bad man. Um, he's quite showy. He's clearly quite showy. He's quite proud of himself. He's quite an arrogant man. Um, but because he clearly likes playing the hero. Yeah. And in fact, um, you know, all of Shakespeare's characters and his tragedies have a fatal flaw. And in one sense, Tony, Tony Gates's character is his fatal flaw, even from the, that opening scene is a sense of wanting to be a hero. He puts himself in proper danger. They have a knife, these, these assailants, yeah. and yet he takes them on anyway. Yeah. Um, but I think we think of him as quite heroic after the opening scenes. Um, and we see him at the Officer of the Year and the laddishness there, I think, is the first false note yeah. we see. We all gonna go, aye, aye, I've, when he I've, I've written in my notes, meets, quote, the lads, because that's, that's very laddish. Mm. Uh, the banter between uh, him and Neil Morris's character, Nige, and yes. Dot. And even the senior officers, there's a lot of laddish banter. So you see this other side of him. And then straight after that, it cuts to him going to Jackie's house. Yes. Where she's distraught. She's upset. And she's describing this incident where she thinks she's run, maybe it's a sign she's run over or a dog. Or There's been some hit and run incident. Um, I mean, we, I mean, one of the most telling things about Jackie Laverty's character is that she's driving an £80,000 car. That's a lot of money for a car, isn't it? It is. And, her, and she's living in, in a new build, but a mansion. Yes. They, a it, they, they refer to it as Millionaire's Row. I'm pretty sure yeah. I or Dot refer to it later on as Millionaire's Row. So, yeah, so we have this moment where she confides in Tony. And I think at that point, we get the sense that there, there's a, this is an affair. This is not husband and wife. This is an affair. Yeah. And she tells him this has happened. So he then, very quick thinking, smashes the front door scratches the, the table and then takes the keys away and makes it look as if her car's been stolen. So again, with this character who, very heroic, very highly decorated, bit of a lad, we're now finding out he has affairs and is quite happy to bend the rules to suit someone that he cares about. But it's heroic. It's in, in one sense, he's playing the hero for her, isn't he? Yes. That's the thing. Yes. He's playing the hero. He's saving her. She's That's a damsel. He's... She's very much a damsel in distress, isn't she? Yeah, and he, and 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 he's and he does it, but you can see he's conflicted. He doesn't like doing it, but okay. he's going to do it because he loves her. Again, that's one of the brilliant things about Lenny James acting is that he does. I was saying Owen Teal does good vile acting. Lenny James does really good kind of anxiety acting throughout this episode. Those little like when he goes back after that moment, you see him going home to his wife you know, Shaun of the Dead's girlfriend. And you keep seeing him, like, lying in bed, looking up at the, the roof and checking his phone. And he just, he does, he's not even doing, he doesn't have to speak, but he just conveys anxiety really, really, better than almost any actor of the show. He just does, you get that claustrophobic, things are, like, closing in on me feeling from him all the time, just from his facial expression and his body language. He's a really good actor, Lenny James. He should be in more stuff. Yeah, he's a wonderful actor. And I think that, I think what, what this series of Line of Duty does in a way that, that I think maybe series two does as well when we come to it, but 
is this is I mean if you were to make a poster for this if this was a movie rather than a TV show and you were to make a poster um to advertise it Lenny James's character would be the central character he is the central driver of this drama it's him this the, the sort of driving the plot line here um and then because what we get and 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 i think i might be breaking the chronology slightly but what we get throughout the the, the episode is a series of of scenes with ted hastings played by adrian dunbar leading martin Comston places and Martin Compton just following him. There's so many scenes of, of Ted Hastings walking through a room with Martin Compton following him with Ted Hastings saying sort of nomic phrases about what he's gonna, what, what they need to do and how they're gonna catch this Tony Gates out. And it's never quite clear what they're trying to find yeah. with Gates. No. I, I, I don't know what they're looking into particularly. No, it almost feels like Ted Hastings just has what he would probably call a hunch. And that's it. He's just got his like, hunch for bent coppers and he just he's got the bent copper hunch in terms of like Tony Gates yeah. um, and so we, we, we see the, 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 the is it at this point um, that we are introduced more to the squad, the OI well, squad the next, yeah, the, well the, the next scene, we meet Kate for the first time very important, uh, we meet Kate Fleming who has that meeting with that unfortunate old man Mr. Butterworth or Mr. Butterfield, it's Mr. Butter something, um, who's obviously been let down by the system. He's been robbed, I think he said three times in the month. And he's obviously just been passed from officer to officer. And you get this this woman, this Kate Fleming, who seems like she cares. And then we get a, another great scene that gives us an idea of the, the corruption in the police, where she meets her very superior, Hilton, who's played by the guy that plays Jamie in, um, in the thick of it. Yes. Um, she, has a, she has a meeting with him and he basically tells her to like, what was it he says, something like, down process anything that doesn't lead to a quick arrest. Something like that, where he's basically saying, listen, see these like burglaries, the ones that aren't going to like... Knife crime, arrest. isn't it? Yeah. Is, is it knife crime that's the issue? Yeah, that's right. That's right, because he says like that, the guy that Tony Gates took down, one of them had a knife, but there was two of them, so we could make that two. That's two examples yeah. of knife crime. So it was like, it was, it was quite a cynical view of like what happens high up in the police that they're really it's almost like you and I both used to be teachers in schools it was very much about the performance tables at the end of each year you get a, a very quick window here straight on the first 10 minutes or so that this is the police are obsessed with arrests and certain types of crime um, so she's told deprioritize this guy this guy's case that you've promised to help just put it on the back burner it's not important and then mm. straight after that we meet the lads that's when we get to meet the lads we get to meet Dot and Nige. The first time we see them properly, apart from at the award ceremony, they're playing, it's almost like they're playing pontoon, they're twisting those, they're like oh, going yeah. stick, twist. They're, they're looking at all these crimes. All of them are, are bad crimes, but they're like, do we take this one on? Do we not take this one on? And it's it's, it's really, really cynical again. It just just it, It's a kind of cynical view of what the police are like, that they just see, they don't see crime, they just see statistics. They're like, oh, knife crime, that's a sex one, we'll have that. Hit and run, just leave that one. Obviously, the hit and run one. We, we, when we hear the hit and run one, we're like, "Oh, that'll be Tony. Mm. This is Lady Friend." So yes. that's an interesting moment when Tony's like, "Twist it, get rid of it." Um, yeah. So what, was first, see, what was your first impression of this, the, the lads? I think it's it's 
again, it's like a hermetically sealed world into the past almost. It's like for a so short moment, you're like watching life on Mars. Yeah. yeah. Um, or something like that, because they are this incredibly laddish, um, boorish or frat house style way of talking to each other. And the interesting thing is that, and it's beautifully done actually, it's like Jed Mercurio, the creator of Line of Duty, right from the very beginning, he was exceptionally confident in what he was doing mm -hmm. and exceptionally confident that he'd be allowed just to do all this stuff. And partly because, I mean, I suppose we should give the context is that um, Line of Duty, when first shown, was in, I think, a springtime, um, early springtime, BBC Two, nine o'clock slot. BBC Two, nine o'clock slot. No one cared that much about it. Of all the people that I knew back then, it was only me and my granddad that watched the show. I couldn't talk to anybody else about it because no one else was watching it. I, it didn't, wasn't... I, I didn't come into it till the second series. And I think, and I think Netflix, that, that once it got on Netflix with the first two seasons, I, I watched the first two and then after season two, I would have watched, but that by that point it had become a massive thing. But yeah, season one wasn't a big thing, really. And it allows you a bit of freedom. And I think one of the things it does is it's beautifully done, I think, really, is that and you wouldn't notice it on first watch, it's only on rewatches that you'd ever do it, is you've got this leery bunch of lads sticking and twisting, and then you cut to the cramped, old-fashioned, ugly room with two female um police con detective constables mm. in CID and also the civilian police officer or the civilian police assistant or whatever she is um, in this room that just doesn't look fit for purpose really it's just overcrowded and overflowing with stuff but interest in three females in that room versus I think five four males in the other room yeah. um, and what's interesting is that what we should have in an ideal world is we should have these three women um, sort of fighting against the system. Mm. What an actual fact you have is you have two women fighting each other. Yes. To get into the lads room. They want to be in the um, And then you have the, the police civilian who we find out in subsequent episodes is, is just manipulated and um, conned essentially by Tony Gates just to do his bidding for him. Um, and I think that that's an interesting thing. Again, it's that kind of walk before it was walk thing is yeah. that we're seeing this very sexist world presented to us. Yeah, they talk um, about the, the, the other lady, I think it's Leah, her name is, the one that's with Kate. And she's talking about the, the, the gender balance in Tony Gates' team and how like she wants to get in there because she knows they've got some gender balance quota they need to make. Um, so yeah. So after, after that, we then get to see Ted and Steve turning up at this head office place to interview Tony Gates, which is where you get one of my favourite Ted Hastings lines when he introduces himself as Hastings, like the battle, which I just think is, I'd forgotten how funny that line was. I even put it into that uh, music at the start because I just thought it was really funny, <laughs> like the battle. Um, and at first, it gets very clever because you can see Lenny James has got that look of, oh, crap, they're on to me, you know, my affair and the covering it up oh god and then it turns out it's the gratuity it's the free breakfast that ted's there for and you think oh it's kind of a nice anti-climax you're like oh that's quite clever but then once tony gates goes away all smug you then get hastings going ha ha see he he thinks it's just a ruse he's like he thinks 
we're just after the, the pre-breakfast, but we're going to get him for something bigger. He made a good joke there. He said something like, he'll just think it's a storm in a teacup, and he goes, or coffee cup, which I thought was really funny. Very good tastings moments in that, the first sort of 10 minutes or so. And, and we, we, we then go very quickly, I think, it zooms. I mean, we have intervening scenes. I think we have the intervening scene where Tony confronts. Yes. Did he confront Becky Laverty? Yeah. They stop in a car, don't they? He basically, once they... Once they've established as a, the, the hit and runs happened, they find a body. And at that point, he gets Jackie Laverty in the car and gives her an ultimatum, says, listen, you go to the police, tell them the truth, tell them you panicked. I, I don't care what happens, but you need to do that now. Mm. Um, and then we have the scene where Ted and Steve turn up. That's the, the yeah. kind of view of it. Um, and, and I think one of the things is the, the second scene with Tony Gates and Ted, where they get him in again, um, and they have a second interview scene about laddering. This comes, uh, I've jumped a bit, but it comes a bit after Steve's tried to have a bit of a chat with him, mm -hmm. you know, to try and sort of, you know, say, like, I think you're a great, I think you're a great um, police officer, essentially. And then they have this, this, um, the very first, if you like, or the, the first real interrogation scene where set, Ted springs on in this idea of laddering. Yeah. We've already seen him ladder. We watched him ladder when they're sticking and twisting. That's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But like, that's the rules of the game. That's what the assistant chief constable Hilton was telling Kate to do. It's it's very much a sense of, oh, is, is this what we're going after him for? Yeah. Is this really what it is? Like just the banality of the of of the of the charge against him. And Steve's clearly very frustrated by this. He yeah, you, you get a part of it. Yeah, Steve just he seems confused. Like, why are we going after this guy? Why are we not going after real bad people? So yeah, so Steve then, Steve goes to goes to Tony and speaks to him, and they have this conversation in the corridor about the like the man's a zealot. You know, they talk about Hastings and saying like, oh, "I'm with you, mate." The man's a zealot. I can't believe he's going after you. Should we go after the bat? I mean, Steve comes across across as quite unprincipled at that point. Like he's just, you know, he's been sucking up with Ted in the pub. And Ted thought he was gay. Do you remember that moment? We passed over that. Yeah, that was like, Did I just put my big on PC foot in it? Which I thought was incredibly funny. <laughs> um, again, woke before woke was a thing. Um, yeah, and then you've got Steve turning up to speak to Tony and say, like, I'm on your side, mate. He's a, he's a zealot. I can't believe it. Um, so, yeah, so after that moment, we then have the civilian lady. Um, we're told that's the scene where Tony manipulates her when he's like, he just sort of chatting to her about the hit and run thing. And he says to like, you know, whatever you get in this, send it to me. It's really important. I'm, I'm on this. And because the civilian's made out to be a bit inept, like she's not, I mean, we watching it, we're like, he's so suspicious. He's yeah. so, he got something to do with this. But the civilian, you know, all she's interested in is hiding her donut that she's got on her table. Yeah. And one of the things we, we, we skipped it because it's a very minor moment, really, but actually, um, it tells us a lot about the show, I think, is that when AC12 first attend the, um, when Stephen and um, Hastings first attend the police station, um, Hilton is the one that walks into Gates's office. Mm. Hilton's the reason why we know they're for Gates, because Hilton's petrified, yeah. because, because Gates is his cash cow. Yeah. Gates is his route to the very top. Yeah. And if Gates goes down, then Hilton goes down. And it's that, again, that institutionalised, same with Owen Teal's character, when he's sort of 
uh, circling the wagons. Hilton needs to know if he needs to circle the wagons because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really interesting. Um, that 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 minor moment is just an interesting thing of. I think as, as line of duty grows and it gets bigger and I think it gets sleeker and it gets more turbocharged, if you like. So I think we get fewer of these moments as the series goes on. But I think those little moments and indeed the, the character of Butter, Butterworth, the old man, because mm. he again would not be in future seasons. No, He would be considered too minor to be included in the plot lines. They've got so much to get through. But in this episode, we see him. This, this is the victim of crime. Mm. Ultimately, the, the, the asylum seeker, the dead body, the hit and run, and Butterworth are our three victims yeah. in this episode. Um, and none of them, none of them have any care or attention given to them whatsoever. No. And I think that's really interesting because what matters is the institution. Well, not the victims. It's very, it's again, feels very prescient given the situation in our politics right now. Mm-hmm. That this, the, we're doing this the week that Dominic Cummings spoke to the select committee. And mm. again, the politicians are more interested in protecting their own integrity. Matt Hancock has been called a liar. And that's annoyed him. Boris Johnson's been called inept and like a wobbly shopping trolley, which annoys him. Um, but they're not interested in the fact that this is about 130,000 people that are dead. And it's the same in this. You get these innocent, like a, a woman who's lost her husband, this poor old man who's been victimised, a guy that's been run over by somebody and killed. And the only thing that they're, they care about is themselves and their reputation. It's very pressing. So yeah, so then we move on to Kate making her first manoeuvres towards Tony's team. She starts soaking up to Tony. She goes in, she shuts the door. She does a little joke about like, oh, I've been pissed on, spat on, <laughs> enough about my personal life, which I, I yeah. didn't like that joke at all. But Tony Gates loved it. Um, and then we get this brilliant bit where she comes back out and that other woman's like, what the bloody hell is that all about? And she's really angry with her for like, because she's already intimated at the start of the episode that she wants to get in with the lads. And now Kate's getting in. And it's got the, what I think is the best joke in this episode. She says like, eh, sorry, um, in terms of like their gender balance and all that. I've got this one because I don't know if you know this, but I'm one quarter Romany. And uh, <laughs> I just thought it was really funny. I wrote that one down and underlined it because I think that was my favourite. In all the great lines that Ted has this episode, I think that's my, I'm one quarter Romany is my favourite line in the whole episode. Exactly, because it's that, it's that, it's, it's, it's a symbol of a person who doesn't care about those things. It's just, I'm out for what I can get and I'm going to exploit the system for all of this work. So then we uh, get... Then we get, I mean, we're, we're actually getting quite close to the end of the episode. Then we get what, for you and I, Line of Duty is all about. Then we get our first interview, proper interview scene, when Tony Gates rolls up to the AC12 building with his police lawyer in tow, and he gets interviewed by Ted. And that's when Ted introduces, you've talked about the laddering thing already. Um, and these interviews, when the tape goes on and they have the proper interview, these become a huge integral part of this show. I mean, if anyone's watching this for the first time and they don't like the interview scenes, you should probably stop watching now because they are... I mean, it's it's hard to believe, but in future seasons, there are almost whole episodes that revolve around these interviews and they are amazing. That, that one, This one's not because it's not that big of a deal. Again, they're just sort of hooking Tony Gates in just now. Um, but these interviews are a huge part of Line of Duty. 
they're like I would say they are like an iconic part. As soon as when a new season starts, the first time they sit behind a desk and they talk to somebody, you're like, oh yes, the magic is back. Here goes the interview again. Yes. But this is a brief one, isn't it? Because it's just the yeah. sense of accusing him of laddering and then that's it. And it's that's basically it. and then Tony because Steve had that stupid conversation with him, Tony's more annoyed at Steve. He's like, yeah, you see, you've, that Hastings played you, and you've played me. Um, is that the bit where he says something like about killing the king, or is that late? No, that's later on. He says, that's later on. He says, yeah, like, yeah. Like, he says, like, take a shot of the king, you make sure you kill him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, should we ever do, um, should we ever do a rewatch of The Wire, we will come back to that line, because it's a, it's a rip-off of the line from The Wire. No. But, um, but um, in the end of that scene, I think it's really interesting because again, we get we get a certain sense of idealism in Steve for all of his sort of mm. career building. Uh, there's a moment of idealism because he is kind of saying, why are we going after this guy? Yeah. One of the few black, you know, like black, black, you know, promoted officers who's really good, he's officer of the year. Why do you want to tear him down of all the people? And, and it's, it's, it's suggestive of there's a racist, a racial element to what may, may be what Hastings is doing. We don't know enough about Hastings yet. Um, we, me and you, after watching six seasons or whatever, may look at this Hastings and we have a clear idea of who he is. Mm -hmm. But on first watch, we don't know who this guy is. Um, and one of the things is Hastings gives a really interesting speech. And it's not a politically correct speech. Certainly not the payoff line at the end. Oh, He's no. talking about... A Catholic officer in Northern Ireland, yeah. and uh, how incredibly badly treated, and how prejudiced uh, people were against him, how discriminated against he was, and we've got to make the sense that he came from the Royal Ulster Constabulary, um, as it would have been then, and he came over to the mainland Britain to get away from discrimination. I think we've got to make that illusion. Um, but then the final line is a line that I don't know. I think it's brilliant because I think even back then when I heard it the first time, yeah, and he's telling no officer is more black than me. Because no one's blacker than me, son. No one's blacker than me, son, which for a white middle-aged man to be saying is is really quite mm. you're you're kind of taken aback by it because you're like, well, that's not right. But I think what it's saying to us is that Ted Hastings isn't politically correct. He's not. He's not politically correct. He has been the victim of discrimination himself. Yeah. He's not politically correct. But you know what? He doesn't care about any of those things. He is a zealot. All he does care about is discrimination. And if he sees it, if he sees, sorry, all he cares about is corruption rather. Mm -hmm. And if he sees corruption, he's going to go after it. And he doesn't care who they are. No. Um, and if you, you know, and, and, and again, not to plot spell, but just an illusion as we go through the, the rest of the if you go through the rest of the seasons, it's, it's backed up. That idea is backed up right the way through is he doesn't care who he has to go after. He'll go after them if they're corrupt. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a really telling line. Um, and is it, is it immediately after that that we meet Steve and Kate? Um, well, after that, we then get the pub scene where Lupac ah. brings her two half pints, which I thought was funny. Yes, again, the latent sexism there. He just it's doesn't very, know what a woman He's like, I got a, what's a woman drink? I was, I was going to get you a pint or a half pint. I got you two half pints. Yeah. Uh, the next scene is when, we, is when Ted takes Steve out to the roof 
and Kate's yes. waiting there, and Steve and Kate have their and that's the, the big reveal of this episode is that Kate Dun 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 is an undercover officer working for AC12. And he's like, I didn't know we had undercover officers. And he's like, she's like, yeah, that's part of the job description, obviously. <laughs> and you get the impression he's a bit thick because, you know, he's like, I didn't know there was such a thing as undercover officers. Um, yeah. And that then, that then, that moment where um, Kate kind of like gives Steve a bit of a reality check and then just segues into the bit where like there's a jobby in his car. Oh, Yes. And he gets very annoyed by that, I, doesn't he? I, I find that, and again, it makes him. It's it's the fact that he then just he like bangs into like the middle of their briefing. I was like, "Did you take a crap in my car?" He doesn't say it like that, but he's like, "Guys, did you do that to my car?" And they obviously they're all in on it because they're all making sort of poo puns, and it just yeah. again it makes Steve look a bit petty and inept that he's getting so angry at this guy for leaving a dry job in his car. And I don't think he realizes Steve when he took the anti-corruption job what it really means. No. No, I don't what think he really... realised how hated he would be by his peers. Um, yeah. That's when Gate, when he does that, that's when Gates then says, if you're going to take a shot yeah. at the thing, you make sure you kill him, son. Yeah. Just after that, when he's been confronted with a jobby. And if we kind of move it along towards the end, we get what we what would be in a more police procedural drama, I suppose, which is we get a stakeout of a drug dealer's yeah. property, which is the only real normal, in inverted commas, bit of police work we see in the entire show, um, whereby Dot and Deepak are doing a stakeout. They're taking lots of photographs like we would expect in a normal police show. Um, and then we get the bit that we don't normally have in a police show, yeah. which is the normal day-to-day -day banality of things of, oh, the next shift's coming, let's just go. I'm bored, I, I wanna go home. Um, they're gonna be here in 15 minutes. And, and that classic phrase, what difference? Well, I don't think they actually say this, but it's the oh, basic point of yeah. what difference does it make if we're here for 15 minutes? But we get minutes? that nice, there's a nice administrative bit as well where he says, like, you know, the head office is like not letting us do overtime anyway. So there's a kind of officiousness to it as well, which is quite mundane and every day. But yes, it's that kind of like, if we go away 10 minutes early, what's the worst that can happen? And then what does it cut to? Straight after that again, cut to outside the same house, the police takes up, there's been a murder in that house, clearly in the window between the time that Dot and Deepak left and the presumably Nige and somebody else came in instead. And, and I think that that's, that, that's, and again, it's that, it's the banality of, of, because there's no consequences for it. There are no consequences for this. And I think that that's, again, that institutionalized nature. And yes, this is the police because police deals with death and it deals with murder and it's, it's much more ultimately sexy and exciting looking after the police than it would be a, um, you know, in a local council guard, uh, gardening maintenance office or something like that. But essentially, it's the same thing. The institutionalized nature of it is you cover your own, you look after your own. So rather than Tony hanging out, Deepak and Doc Cotton, he just kind of, he kind of is a bit grumpy with them. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's the extent. You know, AC12 should really be coming after somebody that, do you know what I mean? That, that, that is so feckless mm -hmm. that their behavior results in death and then right after the the death scene we have another brilliant example of the systemic backside covering is when the old man comes back in again and he's been beaten this time and then oh, yeah. hilton's standing outside and kate says you know you told me to like uh, put this on the back burner and he's like i told you to prioritize and you're like he didn't. He's such a backsliding little 
gob sight of a man. Exactly, and it's and it's really well done in the whole thing. Like, so we've got. I mean, if you think how we've discussed this episode so far, is we've got all of these different elements, and then we keep cutting back to Tony Gates and Tony Gates's world, because there's depth to his storyline in a way that there isn't about all the rest of it. We're getting snapshots of AC Swell, snapshots of Butterfield, the victim, snapshots of this, and then we get Tony Gates's essential nightmare. As he tries to navigate himself around this situation, he discovers that, yes, Jackie comes in and talks to the police, but she doesn't tell them that she did it. And he goes to confront her at home, at her home. I'm right in that, I'm in that. He goes to confront her at her home. And he goes again with the best of intentions. He's a hero. He wants to do the right thing. He's going heroically to try and do the right thing to make sure that she lives up to her responsibilities. And she seduces him. Yeah, she just pulls his trousers down and performs oral sex on him, and that's it. He's, he's... And and he doesn't, you know, and and he's just seduced into into helping her. And and is it? Do we very quickly then go back to the police station where he's sat at the police administrative assistance? Yeah, well, at the very very end of the episode, once Kate's had her altercation with the old man, um, we learn that the body is indeed Jackie's accountant. And the civilian is telling Tony Gates this, and Tony does as usual, like, "Oh, I'll um, I'll fire that over to my own computer." And he's like, yeah, "No milk, two sugars," and he sends her off. And in a, a moment of extreme coincidence, we cut between him swithering about whether or not he should delete this information, and Steve is looking at this exact same information at the same time. So he knows, like, before, um, before Tony's got a chance to delete it. Steve's already seen it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's how the episode ends with this like this yeah. bomb, another another bombshell of an episode of many bombshells. And and I think as you watch it, as I can almost remember, I can't really properly remember watching it for the first time, but knowing knowing that I'm like, oh, I'm tuning into this next week. This is interesting. It's got Lenny James. It's got Adrian Dunbar. That's enough for me to be honest. Those two are acting extremely well. Um, and it's just gripping, it's gripping drama. But when you go back and you do the rewatch like we're doing is you can see the themes mm. and the, you know, even just that theme of institutionalized cover-ups, which you don't catch on first viewing. No. But on rewatching, you're like, oh wow, that's really there. The the latent sexism of milk to sugars. Mm. Just turn around to somebody. Would he have said that to one of the male officers? No. I'm not sure he would have done well, in the same the way. Yeah. He might have asked for a cup of tea or can you make me a cup of tea but he would have just gone milk two sugars please yeah you know just that dismissive way of this mm-hmm. is how i talk to women because the administrative assistant lady she was clearly like starstruck by him in the first scene that second scene when he goes milk two sugars you can see her go a bit like oh yeah. oh you're talking to me like i'm some kind of skivvy um and i i, I think that's quite interesting um but yeah, so I think it's a very, very powerful first episode. And I still think no line of duty has ever won BAFTA for best drama yet, which must say the quality of British television, because that opening episode alone, which we've now spoken about for 50 minutes, essentially, is so layered, so so insightful, so well acted and, and well scripted is that, um, yeah. And it, and it only gets better from here, I that's, think. That's the thing, it gets better. Um, once you get to know the character, once you get to know K, 
Kate and Steve a bit better. It just it it grows, and each season becomes a different thing. Um, mm. And I am looking forward. Certainly, this. I mean, I I watched the first two episodes a few months back. This is what why we're doing this is because I went back and started watching it right after season six finished, and then we mm. talked about doing this, and I said, right, you know what, I'm going to stop, and I'll hold for you. Um, so I've only seen the first two episodes this year, and the second episode is is fantastic, which I'm going to rewatch again this week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm already kind of thinking to myself, like, what night of the week am I going to give myself to watch this? Because I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> you know? So, um, which is, you know, interesting, because there's lots of good television at the moment, but, but, is, but like, yeah. season one is... So, anyway, folks, hopefully you've enjoyed this, and it's been as enjoyable for you as it has been for us. We will hopefully be back around about the same time next week with the second episode of Line of Duty. Um, as I said, we will probably delve into other shows, but I think our main focus for the next few weeks is just to get this first season of Line of Duty done, then we'll move on to something else. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about watching episode two, and it's all on iPlayer just now. I don't know if it's mm. going to stay on for a while, but I think it probably will. I think with iPlayer, a lot of these things tend to stay on just indefinitely. Um, so if you haven't watched it, what on earth have you been doing for the last 50 minutes listening to this? <laughs> Um, but, I, but, there are, but there are some people who listen to these types of podcasts so they don't have to watch the show well I do both that's what I say exactly right anyway folks so we will see you next week um, thank you for listening goodbye bye so good so I watched you again I had to share you with my podcast friends Operation Rewatch Let's have a rewatch Operation Let's have a week.